welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 37, 3 Nephi 8-11 through Arise and come forth unto me. In part one of this episode, Rod Meldrum discusses and documents in great detail the destruction that occurred to North America at the time of Christ's death. Rod gives us several answers as to how this incredible destruction could have occurred. He also discusses the Book of Mormon as a type and shadow of what we may have ahead of us, especially in light of the two solar eclipses crisscrossing North America by 2024. Welcome, everybody, to the Come Follow Me 2020 podcast. Uh, we are excited about this week. We have, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, when I say we, it's actually going to be myself. <laughs> I, have, I had the opportunity um, several years ago, back in 2011, actually, to, to do some really um, uh, fun research involving the destruction that happened around the time of Christ's death. That's what we're going to be talking about. So we're actually talking about this is uh, lesson number 37. This is 3 Nephi chapters 8 through 11. Um, this is when uh, Christ comes to the Nephites. Uh, this is what happens before he actually gets there. So uh, we're going to be talking about that. I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. This is, again, uh, I want to just reiterate, this is the Come Follow Me manual here. Um, we're expecting that you've probably already gone through the manual part of it. And this is going to be supplemental material. I think you're going to find this absolutely fascinating. I've had uh, many different people who have said that this is probably one of the biggest game changers, one of the biggest paradigm uh, shifters that they've ever seen when it comes down to the, the uh, Book of Mormon information and what we've all kind of thought and uh, things that have been held out as being the, uh, this is what happened uh, compared to actually what may have actually happened. So uh, I want to set this up a little bit. Uh, go back just a little bit. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the ramp up to this, and uh, so I uh, want to, uh, to to do that for just a second. Going to go actually back to uh, Alma chapter sixty, verse twenty nine, and I want to focus on this portion right here. Now, this is a letter that uh, that actually uh, Moroni was writing to uh, the governor of the land, Pahoran, and uh, and this is in, in in that letter that his epistle to Pahoran. And basically what he says, Behold, it is time, yea, the time is now at hand, that except ye do bestir yourselves in the defense of your country and your little ones, the sword of justice doth hang over you, yea, and it shall fall upon you and visit you even to your utter destruction. And I, I think that that is a, an important aspect of it when it says your country and your little ones. Uh, those are two things that I think that we really need to have um, understood that uh, that these these two areas uh, are. This is what uh, Captain Moroni is saying: that if you don't basically um, engage in the in, in fighting for your country and engage in fighting for your little ones, my assumption is that is your children. And as I look at uh, as as things are today in our in our time frame. I find it uh, interesting that, uh, that these are two areas that uh, I think that we need to really be engaged in, basically um, engaged in the fight for freedom within our country and also for the lives of our little ones, uh, whether that be human trafficking or abortion or what have you. Um, I think that that is uh, really an apropos statement. So going back here for just another second here, we're going to go now to Helaman, jump up to Helaman in chapter 6, and this is verses 37 and uh, 38. Again, we've already covered um, this, but I just want to reiterate kind of what's going on here in, this, in these chapters. It says in, ver in, in, in uh, verse 38, it says, It came to pass, on the other hand, that the Nephites did build them up and support them. This is talking about the Gadianton robbers. In fact, maybe I go back to verse 37. It says, It came to pass that the Lamanites did hunt the band of robbers of Gadianton. They did preach the word of God among the more wicked part of them insomuch that this band of robbers was utterly destroyed from among the Lamanites. So Lamanites had gotten rid of this band of robbers, but on the other hand, the Nephites did build them up and support them, beginning at the more wicked part of them until they had overspread all the land of the Nephites, and had seduced the more part of the righteous until they had come down to believe in their works, partake in their spoils, and to join with them in their secret murders and combinations. And uh, that's, that's, I guess, I, th I think it's a big warning for us in our days, not to let those those um, those getting out and robber um, secrets and those those secret combinations, let them become a part of us. Uh, 
that we need to realize number one who they are, be able to identify who they are and what those what those secret combinations were. Basically, really, it comes down to free stuff. <laughs> when it comes down to whenever whenever you're trying to enslave people, one of the best things you can do is to offer them free stuff. And uh, that has happened time and time in the scriptures. And also uh, that's how drug dealers do it. They offer them free heroin or whatever for a certain period of time. And then when they get them addicted to it, then they basically say, okay, now you have to start, stop paying. You have to start paying for this stuff. And that's how they, that's how they do it. And so uh, they would do it secretly. They would have uh, murders and so forth. And they would, and they would not um, rat each other out basically, or tell on each other um, to try to avoid um, being brought to justice in their civilization, so the Nephites basically they were all part of that. They they were all kind of in on the uh, in on the the spoils, if you will, of doing this. Now then we go to uh, Helaman chapter six is uh, thirty nine and forty says and thus they did obtain the sole management of the government. So their 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 whole purpose of this was to gain control of the government. Why would people want to do that? Because the government is where you can get the most power. It's where you can exert your power kind of in a legal, in a legal way um, that would be usurping the, otherwise the freedoms of the, of the people. Insomuch that they did trample under their feet and smite and rend and turn their backs upon the poor and the meek and the humble followers of God. Um, as I look at that, the, the, who, who the poor and the meek, as I look at what's going on in our country today, um, the people who are really taking the brunt of these uh, of these riots and shutdowns are the poor. Uh, you don't see the governors uh, or the or the people in government taking pay cuts and uh, not being able to make their mortgages. Um, it's usually the working class people who are having the most issues with trying to uh, to to make it during this uh, COVID shutdown um, brought on by the government and uh, and this uh, and this virus and uh, and so. In, in, in fact, it's interesting. Uh, just recently, uh, one of the one of the um, uh, city managers, basically, or the uh, the mayors of uh, one of the big cities in the United States, um, after and this is in Chicago, <laughs> after after literally now months of rioting and people being killed in her in her city. Um, the rioters started to get close to her house and she decided, oh, you know what? We're going to have police. You know, they wanted, they wanted to defund the police and, and actually abolish the police department there in, in Chicago. Um, she was all for that. But when it came down to the rioters going by her house and her neighborhood, then she wanted to make dang good and sure that those police were there, uh, for protection because she said, you know, it's my right to have protection. Um, but apparently she doesn't think it's the right of the poor and the meek in Chicago to have that kind of same kind of protection. And thus we see that they were in an awful state and ripening for an everlasting destruction. And uh, that is, I think, kind of where we find ourselves now. If the Book of Mormon is a parallel history of the United States of America, then really the, these, these chapters that we've just been covering and, until we get right up into right now, these are all leading up to the final, um, uh, well, this destruction, not the final destruction, but this destruction that happened that heralded the coming of Christ. And so I have with me, in, behind me here, I have some beautiful paintings. This is, a, this is from David Lindsley. Uh, this is one that he recreated from the original one that he did, which had a big Mesoamerican uh, temple in the background. He, he called me up one day and said, what can I do to actually improve this? Because I don't believe that it would happen in Central America anymore, and I don't want to depict things that aren't true. And so he uh, he made this one. It has a nice big mound in the background. Has the uh, the, the 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 wall with the towers and the and the pickets and, and so forth of the of the wood there, and he has the little children gathered around him. So we're going to be talking about this in the next couple of weeks as we go through the uh, the visit of Christ to the Nephites. But again, I want to uh, come back to this for just a second. Um, uh, the ramp up to all this. So in Third Nephi, now we're going to go to Third Nephi. And in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30 here, so we have, uh, in 3rd Nephi, we're going to, we, we have gotten into Laconius, and uh, what's going on with that, and in, verse, in verses um, 29 and 30 of that, when I focus on this, he says, And there was also a cause of much sorrow among the Lamanites, for behold, they had many children who did grow up and began to wax strong in years, and they became for themselves, uh, I think, what does that mean? Basically, they they... They decided that they didn't really need 
to follow the ways of their parents. They were basically going to go their own direction and were led away by some who were Zoramites. Now, the Zoramites were, again, they were uh, Nephites, basically, who had uh, originally, um, they were with the Nephites, and they had split back off again, uh, descendants of Zoram, by their lions and their flattering words to join those Gadianton robbers. So they led the younger generation to follow the false traditions of the Gadianton robbers. Uh, which is really, this is a sad state of affairs. I don't know if they were doing it in their universities, um, but probably uh, their education systems, whatever they were doing with that, uh, was leading their kids to follow false paths or bad bad paths. And that's where the Lamanites afflicted also and began to decrease as to their faith and their righteousness because of the wickedness of this rising generation. And as I look at our nation today, Brothers and sisters, I see that, uh, I, in fact, uh, we see so many now um, parents who are, have their, their, their kids, they, they spend all this money to send them off to college and universities, and they come back as little Marxists and socialists with all kinds of, un, of uh, false information about our nation. Uh, they don't appreciate the fact that they live in this, in this free country, um, and many of them uh, despise our founding fathers and the things, uh, the Christianity and so forth that brought this nation um, up under God. So... Um, we see this same thing happening in our day, in our in our uh, rising generation in this country, um, who are so coddled and have been um, they've never been without anything before in their lives. They haven't gone through the struggles of uh, two world wars and other other wars that have uh, have brought people back to reality as far as uh, what it, what it means to be free and have liberty. So I see that this is this is the parallels that we're talking about here between these um between the book of mormon here and and our day that we're living in the nephi chapter 6 now says and they and it says that they that set at defiance the law and the rights of their country so they defied the law of their country if you take a look at what's going on again uh back in back here to uh what's happening in, in the united states today uh we have cities who basically just choose not to follow the federal laws they just call themselves sanctuary cities, and basically they defy the law and the rights of their country. The law of the country basically also says that we should have borders. Every every nation on the earth has borders, but they have uh, some people say, well, we shouldn't have borders. Uh, we just have open borders, and people can come and go as they want to, um, including terrorists or other 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 people that we can't we can't check to see. If they're going to be assimilated into our into our population, or if they're here to cause trouble, they said they did covenant one with another to destroy the governor. Oh my goodness! Doesn't this sound like what's been happening um, the last three and a half year, years or so? Uh, the governor of the land, the rightful, the the person who won the election, President Donald Trump, uh, basically has had nothing but uh, attacks against him, his 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 uh, his administration. Uh, and so forth that have even even to a, an, an impeachment uh, proceedings held to try to destroy him. Um, but unfortunately, they apparently did not have enough information or have enough evidence that they actually could actually make anything stick. So uh, it's interesting that there's another again, they were trying to destroy the governor of the land. And here we have, um, you know, a, 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 the certain party trying to destroy the governor of, of the land of the United States here. And to establish a king over the land, or basically somebody who is going to rule over the land, um, and that, that the land should no be should no more be at liberty, but should be subject unto kings. So, in other words, not be free, but should be basically subject unto those who want to make the rules, those who are in power, whether or not uh, when it comes down to kings, um, we're not we're not seeing people trying to set up an actual king per se. But uh, but basically, king means that you have sole power and unlimited power over everything else. This is what happens when you have socialism, basically, because the government becomes the king. The government itself becomes uh, the sole power. And instead of having the people have their rights, instead of the people um, being where the, where the power of the government comes from, instead it becomes the, the government itself becomes the power. And uh, that is more like a kingship. Than a uh, than a, uh, a democracy or a republic, which is what we are technically as a as a republic. So, uh, I want to uh, bring up a couple of things I think are just fascinating. This is the this is the ramp up 
to what we're talking about here. And uh, so this this totally clips thing, uh, I just find this is really fascinating because if we go basically to the Book of Mormon, let's go. Let me go back just a, just another little bit here. And in Third Nephi here, we're going to go into uh, you got Laconius. Um, the Gadianton robbers have gotten so bad it was it's just it's just terrible. And now we're going to go to um, on on the the uh, annotated edition of the Book of Mormon again here. It's on page three eighty three. He talks about um, Governor Laconius gathers the people in the center of the land, the center of the Nephite lands. Now, if we if we understand basically that the uh, again again according to this geography, the Heartland geography, the lands that they're talking about here primarily are Zarahemla and Bountiful, and those two places respond or correspond to essentially Iowa and Ohio. If you have people in uh, in, in Iowa, basically in Ohio. And now the Gadiant robbers have gotten so, so strong and so powerful that they, they are literally causing the people to have to move out of their cities. The cities that they built with their own hands, they're having to move out of there um, or else they're going to get destroyed. Um, people in uh, places like Chicago and New York and Washington, D.C. and Seattle and Portland and, and uh, Atlanta may be wanting to think of the same kind of thing. They might want to get out of those cities before they completely are taken over. Um, but uh, that's just a uh, application here as far as getting out of their lands. There, um, in fact, it, it got so bad actually that uh, in in, in um, this is in chapter three of Third Nephi, in verse twenty, um, they they were going to go up into the mountains and actually go up and destroy these Gadianton robbers, but they were told not to. Said no, if you go and attack them, you're going to lose. You can only do defensive wars. You can't do offensive wars, and that's a pretty. You know, there have been a couple of offensive wars in, in over the time of the scriptures, but most of the time, God basically uh, demands that His people basically um, just fight defensive wars. So the center of the land one is kind of an interesting thing because here again, um, and we're going to go to this is on page three eighty four. This is Third Nephi chapter three. And uh, verse 23 says, The land which was appointed was the land of Zarahemla and the land Bountiful, yea, to the line which was between the land Bountiful and the land Desolation. And there were a great many thousand people who were called Nephites who did gather themselves together in this land. Now Laconius did cause that they should gather themselves together in the land southward, because of the great curse which was upon the land northward. So I think if we kind of take a look at this, you have basically the land of Bountiful, the land of Zarahemla. And they say, we're going to gather in the center of the lands, which if they're in Ohio and, and Iowa, that would be basically Illinois. But then the land northward wasn't, uh, there was something with that that they basically said that it was a curse upon that land northward. So they basically went south. If they went south down into Illinois area, um, it's interesting, archaeologically, Wayne May and, uh, and, uh, and Ryan Fisher, the Nephite Explorer Project and so forth, found um, some really interesting aspects of that. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But uh, one of the one of the things I wanted to uh, to point out here is that in the, this would be in the center of their lands. They left their major cities and they actually went there. Now, what did they bring with them? They brought their horses and all of their their um, their food. They brought seven years worth of food and so forth. And they were basically told to prepare for seven years of famine, seven years of siege. The Gadianton robbers were going to basically lay siege on the Nephites. And uh, they were told to prepare for seven years. I think that's that's find that's really fascinating because seven years food supply is actually now twice in our scriptures. We have the the um, the children of Israel basically um, uh, as they went into Egypt that they had there was going to be seven years of famine and seven years of plenty, and so they they jo- Joseph of Egypt basically had them uh, store up extra food every year for seven years so they, they would have food to eat for the seven years of famine that he saw in his dreams. And the same kind of thing is got kind of going on here in the Nephite civilization. They were told to prepare for seven years. I think that that has something to do with the seven-year Shemitah cycle that uh, that we, that we're going to see these seven-year cycles coming up in the next, um, uh, in, in, over the, the next few years as we see these, uh, these three-and-a-half-year cycles uh, of, of the, coming of, of, of Christ basically back again for the second coming, uh, we see those cycles happening. So um, 
I just wanted to point out that uh, this was this is kind of the general area that they're in. Now, there are different kinds of signs that happen, and there are uh, one of the things that I've had a little bit. Uh, those of you who've been following this information, you know about the the National Covenant that we talk about, Tim Ballard and I, and I've been talking about this American Covenant for many years now. And the American Covenant essentially is is that there's there's going there's there's four parts of the covenant that have to do with blessings. They're going to be blessed with the land, posterity, prosperity, and security. And then when they become wicked, then those those things are basically re, um, revoked in reverse order. So God takes away their their uh, security, then He takes away their prosperity, then He takes away their posterity, and then if they still won't humble themselves, then He takes away their land. They're swept off the land. As we understand that aspect of it, then we start to see that you know that we we see the nine eleven connection that we've already talked about uh, being the the. the the sign of the revocation of the covenant of security. We see in 2008 the revocation of the covenant of, of prosperity with the uh, with the stock market crash and ensuant um, the the national debt going skyrocketing. We see in 2015 um, the uh, um, same sex marriage being approved in all 50 states according to the Supreme Court, and also the refunding of Planned Parenthood. Uh, which will again result in about 30 million children uh, being killed before they're born in abortions. Um, and if that's the case, then the next seven-year cycle would end up about 2022. And for a long time, I was like, there's another interesting cycle that's going on. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But it has to do with eclipses. And a lot of people have uh, wondered about these eclipses and what kind of sign is this. Um, then 2017, there was an eclipse. This is actually, uh, this is from... Um, quite a long time ago, this, when they first started to talk about this, it was that it, it was going to happen on August 21st of 2017. But at the time here in uh, on Channel 13, it was 2,608 days away, so it was several years away. But this is but they were talking about this uh, this total solar eclipse, which is going to go over the United States of America, and this is basically the path that it was going to follow. It's going to come uh, basically as the Earth is rotating around, and as the Moon goes across the face of it. It's going to come in around uh, Portland, Oregon area, around uh, Salem up there. Um, then it's going to go across uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Nebraska, and then out through southern South Carolina, as you can see in this image here. Um, it goes basically almost right over just north of Kansas City, which I think is was I found was kind of an interesting aspect of it. So uh, what? So what? Th then there's another one that's coming up here. We're going to talk about this for just a second here. Um, by the way, this this is where the um, the where it has a complete uh, um, blocking out of the of the sun as the moon comes in front. So that dark that darker stripe there is basically where you have a total eclipse. Everything outside of that will have partial eclipse, but it will be progressively as you get further and further from that center line. Um, it would be less and less percentage of the of eclipse uh, happening, but during and, and, but in that center portion there, that's going to be hundred uh, percent eclipsed. Um, but if you know what's just north of uh, of Kansas City area, it's uh, Adam and Amon is there, okay, where everything basically uh, kind of started with Adam and Eve and so forth. Um, this is kind of what it would look like basically if you were looking from the moon back at the Earth. This is uh, what it looks like here, and then. When it gets to a certain point, this is I'll be on August 21st, 2017, at 18:05 uh, Universal Time. Basically, the the moon would cast a shadow, which would essentially cover all of North America, from uh, basically the Panama Canal all the way up to the North Pole. And uh, so that's what it's going to look like there. This is a different view of that, showing how that looks basically at that point in time. When the the little black dot in the middle there is the center of the moon shadow. So that's basically the center of that uh, the shadow there, and that's basically right over um, the the heartland of America. Um, interestingly enough, go back to this for just a second. So, uh, interestingly enough, the way that these two promised lands have been situated on the Earth is that they are actually on opposite sides, not exactly, but pretty close to opposite sides of the Earth. So when it's light, when it's daytime in America, it's nighttime in Israel or Jerusalem, that area. And then conversely, when it's when it's um, nighttime in the United States, it'll be daytime in Israel. So this is one of the few times when both promised lands are in simultaneous darkness. And so there's there's um, that that usually is not a good sign. <laughs> okay, that's not a good symbol when it happens. 
But uh, then, then we have coming up, though, in 2024, we have the next total eclipse, which is going to be basically going the opposite direction over the United States. And uh, this, is, this is showing, again, how that's going to happen. Basically, it's going to come in through basically uh, New Brunswick down through Maine over Vermont and then down right over the top of the Hill Cumorah in New York and Palmyra. Then it'll be going right over the top of uh, Kirtland, Ohio. And then it'll be going through Indiana and then right across the bottom corner of Illinois, out through Missouri and then Arkansas and then across Texas and then out through Mexico. So um, these two, when you see them com- you know, uh, together, it's going to be April the 8th of 2024. That basically is, uh, you have the August 21st, 2017 and the April 8th, 2024. How many years is that apart from each other? Well, obviously, that's seven years uh, apart from each other. And uh, so that is, again, if, when, you, when you're looking at seven years things, you need to be paying attention because that has some real interesting symbolism potentially associated with that. Um, in this particular case, I find it just fascinating. If you take a, a close look at, uh, at where those two intersect each other, because these are, these are twice when the promised land of America will be blotted out and... America and its cohorts um, country, basically the other promised land, and Israel are going to be in simultaneous darkness. Um, there's some real foreboding kind of things that can happen here. The seven years that, are, that span between these two, what do those seven years um, um, in, indicate? What, what, is, what is the symbolism of that? And I want to go back for just a second now to uh, to being able to understand a couple of other things. So, the um, when it comes down to it, the um, these two these seven year cycles that we're talking about with the 9-11, 2008, 2015, and then something happening in 2022, possibly happening some kind of a sign about being swept off the land. Um, but it's kind of juxtaposed with this seven year cycle, which is 2017 instead of 2015. And so these are like two years off. And for a long time, I was wondering, well, what what is going on with those uh, with those two years? Is it? I mean, God is not a God of confusion, and, and he and his things are so precise that I can't imagine that this would be off just by accident. So I was trying to figure out why why is there this juxtaposition of two years? And I finally realized that uh, we're talking about two different levels of covenant. We have a global covenant. When the global covenant happens, it basically these are things that happen in the stars, in the skies. And, uh, and these are things that uh, God said he set up for times and for seasons, for, for signs of what's going to be happening in our, in, uh, in our humanity here on the earth. But the other one is actually a, uh, a, a, a national covenant. So you have a global covenant, which is signs in the stars, and you have a national covenant, which are things that are happening within our nation, the United States. In this particular case, um, and so that, that, that's I think the reason why there's two different timings here. But this seven-year timing is I think fascinating because if again if you go back to the, uh, the where, where this where these two actually uh, intersect each other, it's right at this. And, and th- now this is showing actually coming right over the top of uh, Rochester area, okay, and, and that you can you can see that the Hill Cumorah is just uh, just to the east of Rochester there. And go right over Buffalo and then down past Cleveland. And of course, uh, Kirtland is just uh, just east and north of Cleveland. So this is going to be right in that main uh, shadow area as it goes across here. But this is a closer up of where the two of them actually meet. So the center line is the is the actual center of where the moon uh, shadow is going to be. And then the other two lines on either side of those are where the, the 100% eclipse is going to be happening. And if you take a look, basically where those two meet, the closest town to that is called Carbondale. And if it, and, it, and and hopefully you can see here. I'm going to go ahead and move my cursor so you can see. This is the southern tip of Illinois. It kind of looks a little bit like a, the root of a tooth. You have the Mississippi River going up here on the on the west side and along the southern part, and then you have and then you have the Ohio River, which goes off to the east, and basically over here to Paducah. And then you have the Shawnee National Forest as it goes back up to the north and to the east. So it kind of creates this almost like the uh, like the, the the roots of a tooth at the bottom of Illinois. 
And a lot of people don't know this, but in, but archaeologically, there's some really interesting things that are going on there. Now, remember, I talked about just briefly that uh, that the uh, that Laconius gathered the Nephites in the center of their lands, and then they went southward. They went to the land southward. If they gather in the center of their lands, basically, and let's go back to this one right here. Again, if you take a look at Ohio, right up here, and then you have Illinois over here, the center of their lands could be in this general area around uh, in Indiana or Illinois. If they happen to be a little bit more, since Zarahemla was a bigger city because it was their capital city, maybe they could kind of favored that direction a little bit. And if they went south, that basically puts them at the southern tip of Illinois. This would be a great place to go if they're going to try to um, escape um, the the siege of the of the the lame, the, the um, Gadiant robbers, because they have river on three sides of them. They would have to only protect the northern north, northern part of this along this this line here. And if you can see my my cursor going along on that. Okay, so basically this area here. And amazingly enough, archaeologically speaking, there are some really fascinating things here. So let me go back to this. So this is where the solar eclipse is, is happening on April the 8th of 2024. Uh, you'll notice the place called Poplar Bluff and Hot Springs. Okay, that's Arkansas. Poplar Bluff is the southern, kind of the boot heel region of, of uh, Missouri on the southeastern east, side of Missouri. Basically, and you can see, again, it goes right over the southern tip of Illinois here. All right. And so now we're going to go so that this is this is Carbondale here. And you can kind of see where Carbondale, the city is, is a satellite image. And this is where the two uh, actually intersect. There's kind of a, a, a lake there that looks a little bit like a letter C. Um, with a with a, a northern portion and it kind of uh, goes around kind of like an L with a with a top piece on it there. And uh, so that you can see where the where those two happen, and this image here you can see Carbondale's at the top, and the closest city to this is called Maconda, and it's then it's almost straight down from Carbondale, and it's called Maconda. So that's M A K A N D A, and as you take a look at that, you can see you can see the lake there on the left hand side of that. Um, this area is 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 uh, pretty much just kind of no man's land out there. Uh, west of Maconda, but that's where those two actually come, uh, where those two actually intersect, right in this general area. The thing that I find is fascinating about Maconda is, is this is really close to, you can see at the very bottom of your screen, you can see Giant City State Park, which is just kind of, uh, the, 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 um, the, the words for that are actually kind of to the south because the park goes to the south, but the park extends up past north up to where that Trillium tail, Trail is located at. And as you take a look at that, um, all along this area of, uh, of Illinois, and this is, uh, again, this is now, this is from page in, in the Annotated Book of Mormon here. Uh, you can actually find this uh, image here on page 287. So it's page 287 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. This is the bottom portion of that. And it shows um, this, archaeologically speaking, there was a series of forts that go all along um, from, the, from the east to the west and back and back from east and west and back. Um, about 43 of these ancient fortifications that were spanning the southern tip of Illinois. So you would literally have the river on, on three sides of you, and you only had to defend one other side. Now, that across there is about 60 miles or so, and there are, and that's why it takes about 43 uh, fortifications to, to span that area. They were far enough apart, they could actually send signals to each other. They are actually within line of sight of each other, so they could literally send messages back and forth across the entire southern tip of Illinois here um, to let each other know if there was an attack coming from any any people to the from the north. Uh, the reason why the rivers are such a, 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 a good defense is because they're nearly a mile wide at these points. So there's not you, you can't just sneak up on people with the rivers there because you can see huge swaths of the river. They're very wide. You could see somebody paddling across the river for you know an hour before they got there, and it would take thousands and thousands of canoes, basically full of people, to try to come over and attack the Nephites on that on in that southern tip. There are stone walls that are there. For example, you have the stone wall there at, uh, at what's called Stone Fort. That's on the upper right-hand image. And then you also have places like Pounds Hollow, which is further over to the uh, to the to the east side there. 
Um, this there's a there's a turns out that there is a very large. In fact, I can show you this. There's a, an escarpment basically that goes along this whole area in the Shawnee National Forest. Um, very very remote area out here. Um, there, there's all these cliffs. And it was along these cliffs on the top of the tops of this these these cliffs where these fortifications were discovered over the last about fifteen or twenty years. Now the people who were there um, many many years ago, a lot of them were moonshiners and so forth. <laughs> they were in the area there because this is pretty remote. Um, but the, but they've actually found all kinds of things. If you if you've been with us for a long time and you've seen the uh, the Nephite Explorer um, TV uh, series that Ryan Fisher did. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, they actually go out there and they have a, a couple of episodes where they find uh, actually secret entrances into these areas. And these areas were uh, were, were highly fortified with uh, with stone walls and so forth, just like we're seeing in the in the images there. Uh, this is that this is another image there. This is from Jonathan Neville, one of the pictures that he took there at uh, at this place. But you can just see about uh, hundred to uh, you know eighty to hundred foot tall cliffs um, that they could have. Uh, up, they could stay up on top of there, and basically any Lamanites or any enemies trying to get up into there, they had all those entrances basically uh, fortified so they could not get up there and harass them. And uh, it's just a really a fascinating place. I just find it really, really amazing. This is a stone wall here, just for a second here. Sorry about that. Um, Another one, this is the, again from Stone Fort, but these were, uh, these were ancient walls that were built up. And of course, in the Book of Mormon, they do talk about having walls of stone. They just don't happen to be talking about any buildings made out of stone or any kind of cities made out of stone. They talked about them being made out of wood primarily, and occasionally they had cement on that wood. Interestingly enough, though, um, this area, and I want, I want to go back here for just a second. This is, I think, one of the, one of the main points I wanted to make. Isn't it interesting that the place where these two eclipses that basically uh, span a seven-year cycle, that the place where those intersect, the exact epicenter of those things, is right in the exact same place where, if our geography is correct, this is where Laconius gathered the righteous Nephites together so they could make a seven-year stand against the Gadiant robbers. They left their homes. They came into this area. And uh, and so I, if X marks this spot, it's really fascinating to me that it happens to be going right exactly over the area where the Nephites had gathered together with their seven-year supplies to be prepared for a seven-year siege by the Gadianton robbers. I think that's fascinating. But now we're going to get into uh, the, the, the next part of this. We're going to actually u- utilize... Um, Work that has been done back in 2011, and in, in the uh, presentations that we, we we did at our at our conference, and so we're going to utilize that. But uh, let's get let's now go ahead and jump on over here. I want to to uh, show this image though. This is um, I just did this just uh, just before we recorded this podcast. These are earthquakes that have happened. In the last two years, since 2018 and 2019 and, 2000 and, and, and what we have of 2020 so far, um, there, the, the, there's a total of 737 events that happened on this, uh, in this map. And as you can see, they're all clustered around this area of Missouri. And, and you can see what's called Poplar Bluff there in the image. Just south and east of Poplar Bluff, there is a very active seismic zone even to this very day. And this is what we're going to be talking about here in the next uh, in, in the next about uh, hour and and uh, twenty minutes or so as we watch the uh, the video of this. I think what you're going to find is something just absolutely fascinating about this. Now, um, the last couple of things I just want to point out. This is uh, when Alma. This is an Alma when uh, when Captain Moroni took his uh, his coat, took a piece thereof, and he wrote upon it the title of Liberty. I just want to reiterate the fact that this is what we're talking about here in our day. In memory of our God, our religion, and our freedom, and our peace, and our wives, and our children. There are those in our country who want to basically tear down every single one of those things, and they're very open about it now. They wanted to destroy all religion, that religious people are bigots and have, uh, and have real issues. They want to destroy our freedom. 
They want to basically have it so that they can have control. They can tell us everything that we can or cannot do. That The government will control every business, every entity, all the natural resources, and basically the people become the slave to the government rather than the people giving the power to the government. Um, they're gonna, they want to destroy our peace through riots and looting and lawlessness. Um, taking away their wives, basically to not even have wives, not even have marriage, not even have nuclear families. Um, Black Lives Matter, that's one of their tenants. And number four, their fourth tenant, as I understand it, is to destroy the, the nuclear family because that's racist, because having a mother and a father in conjunction with having children and having them be committed 100% to each other is basically something that they want to tear down because they feel like it's racist. And it says, and also our children. So all of these things are currently under attack in the United States today. And this is, I think, the reason why um, Captain Moroni rent his coat, realized that their nation was about to succumb to evil and to uh, apostasy. And uh, then he wrote these, these things on his coat to what? To remind them of the things that are the most important. And to remind them that if they do not stand and fight for these things, if they do not basically do all in their power to uphold their God, their religion, their freedom, and their peace, and their wives, and their children, that these things will be taken from them by those who have a different agenda. In fact, I love this uh, this, this image here of the title of liberty. This is again by David Lindsley. And if you take a close look at it, you can actually, you should be able to actually read that. Those actually are characters from the gold plates, according to the anthem transcript. It says, in memory of our God, our religion, our freedom, and our peace, and our wives, and our children. And we thought it would be appropriate to have it on Hebrew broadcloth, which is a red and white striped cloth, which is the natural, which is the kind of the, the most common cloth in the Hebrew culture. And interestingly enough, it looks a lot like the Star-Spangled Banner. It came to pass that when he had poured out his soul to God, he named all the land which was south of the land desolation, and find all the land both on the north and the south, a chosen land, and the land of liberty. And again, we have uh, President Nelson actually talking about this land of liberty being the United States of America, and so did uh, Elder uh, El Tom Perry and others. And I said unto them, Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob, yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren to many pieces. Yea, and now, behold, let us remember to keep the commandments of God. There's Moroni admonishing the Nephites to keep the commandments of God. And just like uh, Captain Moroni, uh, I think that our, our, our leaders of the church would also admonish us to keep the commandments of God. Behold, whosoever will maintain this title upon the land, let him come forth in the strength of the Lord and enter into a covenant that they may maintain their rights and their religion, that the Lord God may bless them. And then uh, now this is this is a uh, really important, and I think this is as apropos for all of us as members of the true church, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. In Second Chronicles, the Lord said, "If my people." which are called by my name. So who are the people who are called by his name? I think it's us. If we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I love this promise by the Lord that if we will turn from our wicked ways and and uh, hear what he has taught and what our prophets are telling us, then he will forgive our sins and will heal our nation and our country and the world as far as that's concerned. But I think that's going to happen when he returns. So going back to a couple of other uh, things. So um, I want to address now directly, this is in, uh, we're now in in um, Third Nephi. And we've gotten to the point where we're in Third Nephi chapter 8, which is where we're actually, this is all the setup for what is happening in, in chapter 8. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, just give you a very brief overview, and then I'm gonna, we're going to have you um, be able to watch uh, for the first time um, a, 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 an entire um, video. It's a DVD that was done back. In fact, I'm going to open this up here. This is, this is actually from the Book of Mormon Evidence um, 
set of DVDs. This is the, the second set. And so this is number two, Book of Mormon Evidence number two. Um, this is the one that has the Phoenician Expedition and the Destruction of the Time of Christ's Death, which we're talking about now. Book of Mormon Metallurgy, Hebrew in the Heartland, Ancient Alphabetic Scripts, and Serpent Mound Secrets, and Iron Age America. So these are the things that are talking about that. But in in, uh, in disc number two of this, it's uh, called What Caused the Destruction of the Time of Christ? This was actually done at our National Book of Mormon Evidence Conference on May the 13th and 14th of 2011. So we've known about this for quite some time, but... But it's such a paradigm changer um, that um, only people who have bought the, enti- the the set actually know about this. And it's just so critical that we understand this. Because this has been one of the big things that have been used actually to try to um, to be naysaying the Heartland Model Geography for the Book of Mormon. In fact, I'll give you a quick example here. And in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the DVD, it actually talks about other things here. But this is actually a book that's called The Geology of the Book of Mormon by Jerry D. Grover Jr. And uh, he's talking about the geology, basically the rocks and so forth, the continental things. And uh, he, he makes an assumption in here in his book on about page uh, 77, the beginning of chapter six, he calls it the volcano only scenario. He says, in, in, in order to begin correlating third Nephi events to locations on the ground, there are three potential primary hazards to consider that will drive all of the secondary hazards and damage, volcanic activity, earthquake activity, and large storms and hurricanes. At the outset, in evaluating all of the events described in third Nephi, it is apparent that a volcano is an essential element, as there is really no other reasonable explanation for the mist and vapor of darkness that was widespread in the land northward and the land southward. So basically, he, what he's saying is, is that uh, the events that we're about to talk about here in 3 Nephi chapter 8 can only be explained by a volcanic eruption of some sort. And of course, if you go to the, the heartland of America, there are no volcanoes there, at least none that happened in the time frame of Jesus Christ and his, and his uh, death. So they said, well, there you go. That, that, that basically ends the story for the heartland model geography. The only problem is, is he's making a very, very false assumption here that the only explanation, apparently he is not aware of the fact that uh, in the heartland of America was this, is this thing called the New Madrid Fault System. And in 1811 and 1812, this let go with a, the, the largest sequence of earthquakes ever recorded in human history, um, over 2,000 events over a five-month time frame. That averages about 17 earthquakes per day, and three of these earthquakes were like an 8.0 or larger magnitude, which are 10 times larger than the earthquakes that uh, that destroyed San Francisco back in 1906. Um, I'm going to show you that basically his assumption here, the, the primary assumption he's making, he wrote this entire beautiful book about, his primary assumption is is, is fatally flawed. Um, there is other ways of explaining it. And in fact, there are things that happened in third Nephi here that cannot be explained directly by a volcanic eruption. So I hate to, uh, you know, to, to have to put that one down, but that's the way that one is. Now, the information that we're going to be sharing with you over the next uh, hour and a half or so is basically coming from a lot of different books, but primarily, um, this is one of the earlier books here. It's called The, Earth, the New Matter with Earthquake, A Scientific Factual Field Account by Myron Fuller. Uh, this is called The New Matter with Fault Finder's Guide. This is kind of a funny, the, 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 uh, Dr. Ray Knox and Dr. David Stewart, they have kind of a sense of, sense of humor, so they call it the, the, the Fault Finder's Guide. So if you want to find faults uh, about Missouri, this is where you go to find the faults. <laughs> this is the, there's another book they, they wrote called The Earthquake That Never Went Away. The shaking stopped in 1812, but the impact goes on. 150 photos and figures on how the great New Madrid earthquakes affect you today by, again, this Dr. David Stewart and Dr. Ray Knox. Combined, they have over 60 years of, uh, of, of, of research on the New Madrid seismic zone. But I, I'm really going to focus a lot of attention on this one right here. This is called The Earthquake America Forgot, 2,000 Timblers in Five Months. And again, this is by Dr. Da- Dr. David Stewart and Dr. Ray Knox. Um, this one has many, many different accounts. I'm just going to share with you um, one of these accounts. This is from uh, page 237. This is the reason why I, I, I was actually at New Madrid. There, in New Madrid, Missouri, there is a earthquake museum that's just fabulous. If you ever get down to the area around New Madrid, you you got to go look, at, look it up. My friend uh, Jeff is there. 
um, he runs that and, and, and basically he, um, we had, we went, we took a tour down there and we had these, these folks that uh, came uh, you're going to see this again in the video. So I'm just going to make it really, really quick, but basically I picked up this book that just happened to just almost fall open to this particular page. And I looked at this page and it said earthquake smog, earthquake smog. Now I've done a lot of scientific research and I've never heard of something called earthquake smog before. But this is what it says just very briefly. It says, during the duration of the disturbances and throughout the New Madrid region, people reported the darkening of the skies following the largest shocks. Clear nights became overcast while clear days became dark and gloomy. Eliza Bryan described her family's experience on December the 16th when the first shock struck. She said, my ma tried to light the lamps, but the darkness was so dense they didn't help at all. Does that sound familiar? She also spoke of the, quote, the awful darkness of the atmosphere, unquote, during some of the daylight shocks. Godfrey Lesore said that following the severe shocks, quote, a dense black cloud of vapor overshadowed the land, unquote. Another resident of New Madrid said that when a large shock occurred, quote, the air would be clear at first, but in five minutes it would become very black, and this darkness returned at each successive shock, unquote. Another New Madrid observer noted that, quote, a vapor seemed to impregnate the atmosphere, had a disagreeable smell, and produced difficulty of respiration, unquote. And a minister living near Cape Girardeau, uh, which is close to the New Madrid epicenter, reported that from December the 16th until December the 19th, how, how many days is that? It's about three days, said the sun, moon, and stars were concealed by a mist and a fog, which dropped like a heavy dew. Now, there's more to this, but what you're going to find out, my brothers and sisters, is that the, the, these accounts of what happened between 1811 and 1812, which, by the way, just happened to be uh, how many years before the first vision. So what we have here is a situation where we have a massive New Madrid event. And, we, and in the DVD, it will show you uh, through Marticia Tuttle. She's a paleoseismologist uh, with USGS. And uh, she has found direct evidence, in-the-ground evidence, that a similar event did, in fact, happen right near the time of Christ. There are 28 observations. In fact, I'm going to encourage you. Um, we're going to get this up on the, uh, on the website so you can actually download this. This is a worksheet. It's called, What Caused the Destruction at the Time of Christ in the Book of Mormon? This worksheet was done uh, back in 2011, updated in 2017. But there are observations made in the Book of Mormon here in 3 Nephi chapter 8. We're not going to go through those because it's, we'll do this in the DVD. But basically in chapter 8, um, a couple of, couple of points I do want to make that, uh, that it says it was in the, uh, in, this is in verse 2, now it came to pass if there was no mistake by this man in the reckoning of our time, the 30 and third year had passed away and the people began to look with great earnestness for the sign which had been given by the prophet Samuel the Lamanite. Yea, from the time that there should be darkness for the space of three hours over the face of the land, and there began to be great doubtings and disputations among the people, notwithstanding so many signs had been given. And it came to pass in the thirty and fourth year. So what year was it again? The thirty-fourth year, first month, fourth day of the month. That's when it, there arose a great storm. Like uh, such as one that had never been known in all the land. There's great and terrible tempest and thunder, and we're going to get into all of that in the DVD. But it turns out that there are 28 observations made by the prophet Nephi in the Book of Mormon that talk specifically about the physical destruction. Why did they put all this detail in here if we didn't want to know about it, if we didn't need to know about it? I think everything he put in here was important. So if he put it in here, there was a reason for it. Why did he put so much information about this? And I, and I personally believe that the reason is, is because what you're going to find out is out of those 28 observations that he makes in the Book of Mormon, this is things like the earth is carried up upon a city, whirlwinds quaking of the whole earth, highways broken up, level land spoiled, rocks rent in twain, mists of darkness, three days of darkness. All of these different things were things that they actually experienced and observed and then wrote these things down in their history. And, and Mormon, as he's going through this history, Almost uh, you know, 350 years later, um, he picks these things out and he put all of this detail in here, and I think it's for a reason. Mormon and Moroni basically said that they saw our day, that Jesus Christ has shown them our day, 
So I think that they put this in here for a reason. I think the reason is because this, I believe, makes it crystal clear that the Book of Mormon actually happened here in North America because not what you're going to see, folks, is that we're going to take those 28 observations made from the Book of Mormon. We're going to go through those in detail. Then we're going to compare those with um, these books and a, and, a, and, a, and a couple of other documentaries. One of the documentaries is called The Earthquake in the Heartland by the History Channel. I'm going to play that for you here. biggest earthquake ever to hit the lower 48 states was not the 6.7 Northridge quake in 1994 or the 6.9 Loma Prieta quake in 1989 or even the 7.8 San Francisco quake of 1906. But the series of three quakes which struck near St. Louis in 1811 and 1812. The earth didn't just shake, it discharged bizarre sand geysers, spewed strange vapors, made the Mississippi River run backwards, and sucked lakes dry. All of a sudden, the hand of God comes down and strikes right where you're at. For many, it seemed to be the end of the world. These people were scared to death. But it wasn't over. Thousands of aftershocks rattled the continent for five more months. They rang church bells in Boston. They rattled China in New York. They were felt in Detroit. They were felt in Washington, D.C. What if that same earthquake were to strike the Midwest today? The lives of at least 11 million Americans would be in peril. The problem today is that what was an unpopulated part of America is now very populated. It's happened before. It will happen again. That's just a... a, a, a very brief little introduction to what we're about to talk about. I think you're going to find that this is one of the most amazing uh, bits of information that you're going to have seen for many, many years when it comes down to the Book of Mormon and having a paradigm change. So again, most of the time people have thought, well, it's got to be some kind of a volcanic eruption, but there's nothing in the Book of Mormon that says anything about a volcano or ash or magma or lava or explosions, or rivers of fire, or falling rocks, or things like that, or rumbling even, that, that talks about that. Um, what it does talk about, every single thing. It turns out, I don't, I don't want to be a, um, <laughs> you know, to, to tell you the end here uh, too quickly, I don't want to be a spoiler, but I'll just put it this way. If, if out of those 28 things that the prophet Nephi actually observed in the Book of Mormon and put it into the, the, the text, if... Three quarters of those things were actually witnessed and we could actually verify those things. That would be truly significant. But what if we could get all of them? What if all 28 of the observations made by the prophet Nephi matched up precisely with people's observations that happened in 1811 and 1812? Now you're going to have to watch the rest of this to find out the answer to that. So, but, uh, but basically, so uh, I think you're going to have um, some really exciting things to, to, to know about. Now, if you already have the uh, this book, basically, which is Exploring the Book of Mormon in America's Heartland, um, many, many people have that. We have about uh, 50-something thousand copies out there. If you go to pages um, 188 and 189 and 190 and 191, or excuse me, 190, um, this also has kind of a general overview of this information. But brothers and sisters, this is what I find really fascinating. And also, um, of course, in, in the Annotated Book of Mormon here on page 393, it talks about the tempests and the whirlwinds. Um, where do whirlwinds happen? Whirlwinds don't happen in Central America. 
at least not any kind of category two or three or, or greater than that. Winds sufficient that uh, could could uh, pick up a person and carry them away um, is is not in there. In fact, that's one of the things I do. It's not in the DVD, so I do want to mention this particular thing here. On May the 11th of 2011, a massive category EF5 tornado near the town of Joplin, Missouri, sucked an 18-year-old boy from the sunroof of his of his uh, dad's uh, SUV. It was a yeah SUV. Or was, it was a uh, yeah like a yeah an SUV. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, through the sunroof, authorities later found him and found him some distance from where the vehicle was shattered. Uh, there was another there was another individual that was uh, that actually got uh, sucked from his living room and they found his body many miles away from his home. It actually had uh, lifted his body up and, and held it aloft for that long as it traveled along and then dropped his body off in a lake that they was found later. And then third Nephi chapter eight, it says, and there were some who were carried away in the whirlwind and whether they know, no man knoweth say they were carried away. So, uh, this, and, and if you, if you will take a look at the annotated book of Mormon, devastating tornadoes capable of literally carrying people away as described in third Nephi occurs seasonally in what is termed tornado alley of North America's heartland. The whirlwind could mean tornado is that a whirlwind could mean tornado is understood. Whirlwinds are, are mentioned seven times in the Book of Mormon, in Second Nephi, and in Mosiah and Alma, Helaman, and Third Nephi, and uh, and then also in Third Nephi chapter ten, they were not they were not carried away in the whirlwind. To be carried away implies a lifting force along with the winds, such as found in strong tornadoes. So these are not a little dust devil, which they've seen a couple of dust devils have happened in Central America, but but the conditions for the formation of large devastating tornadoes doesn't even exist in Central America. It only happens here in North America in what it is ironically called Tornado Alley. An EF4 tornado has winds in the 200 to 250 mile per hour range. Humans can easily become airborne at that force. An EF5 tornado is roughly in the 250 to 300 mile per hour range. People have been known to be carried a mile away by severe tornadoes. No one has ever been known to survive a tornado journey of that distance. That's from the Tornado Project Online. It says, while EF4 and EF5 tornadoes occur approximately once a year in the United States, they are unknown in Mesoamerica. This is from Missouri Storm Aware. An average of 1,000 tornadoes hit the United States every year. Only 0.1% of all tornadoes achieve an EF5 status. And then uh, and it says, that, behold, there was a great and more terrible destruction of the land northward, for behold, the whole face of the land was changed because the tempest and the whirlwinds and the thunderings and the lightnings and the exceedingly great quaking of the whole earth. So these are the, some of the primary things that we're going to talk about in this DVD. I want to note um, for you on page 395 in the Annotated Book of Mormon, we have some direct correlations and comparisons between eyewitness accounts that happened in 1811 and 1812 and 3 Nephi chapter 8 accounts brought to us by the prophet Nephi of the Book of Mormon. I think you will find those to be absolutely astounding how similarly similarly they they correlate on page 396 in the annotated book of mormon you will see the new matter earthquake overlay um based on the geography of the book of mormon and from the heartland research basically this this was a destruction that was custom made just for them um the nephites i.e the hopewell mound builder people would have been right in these river valleys you can actually see um on the on, on page 396 it has the, the red zone is basically where the strongest, most devastating shaking would have gone on. The yellow zone is where the earthquakes would have been felt, but not necessarily would have been as devastating. And as you can see, it kind of forms almost a V shape. The reason why it's a V shape is because it's the bottom of that where the new Madrid seismic zone is. And the earthquakes tenuate up the river valleys so that they actually follow the valleys as that energy is released from the earthquakes, it, it follows the two valleys up, and that's what causes it as it goes up the Ohio River Valley and up the Mississippi River Valley and uh, and, and just shakes them to their very cores. And so you'll actually see some uh, interesting stuff. He says there was great and terrible destruction in the land southward, but it was even worse in the land northward because the as it attenuates northward, it actually spreads out, and so the, the, the destruction is actually even more broadly um, happening in the northern part of this area. 
Uh, it talked about in the, in, in the third Nephi, it talks about cities being burned. Many cities were burned. Um, third Nephi chapter eight and chapter nine. And, uh, there's, there's, and, and Mormon five and so forth. Even the, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, Jaredites in ether, um, have cities that are burned. Um, cities made out of stone, folks, don't burn. Rock doesn't burn very well. I'm an Eagle Scout and I know that rock doesn't, rocks do not burn very well. <laughs> okay. Um, these cities had to be rebuilt. So, um, people said, well, but they had little wooden structures on top of the, like in Chitsunitz and so forth, which by the way was not, wasn't even built until about 900 AD. But, um, long after the Nephites were long gone. But, uh, but the bottom line is, is that they said, well, it could have been burned off the top of that, but it wouldn't burn the entire thing down. You wouldn't have to rebuild the pyramid because the little top house got burnt. Um, this is where cities were burned to the ground, basically, um, which is, which is indicative of, of uh, people who were building their homes out of wood, which of course we know was what the primary building material of the Nephites was. So as, so, uh, so that's basically the, uh, the, the, the gist of what I wanted to share with you. Now we're going to go to, I hope you enjoy this. Now, uh, this was recorded some time ago, so you're going to see a younger me <laughs> with probably had some hair and so forth there, but I think you're going to really enjoy this. Um, like I said, uh, when, when, when people have seen this, they have said that it is a, one of the biggest game changers. Um, there is no reason to assume that, um, that a volcano is even necessary or even was any part of this destruction that happened around the time of Christ and contrary to what has been assumed by Mesoamerican theorists for a long, long time. Um, and you can, you can, you'll, you can download this, uh, this worksheet off of the website. So we'll, we'll give you some information on that. And I hope you enjoy the uh, the DVD, and we're going to go to it now. Thank you so much, everybody. Enjoy that. Find the new virtual expo at bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com. We advertise 60 new videos, but actually almost double that amount. So you'll have plenty of inspiration to carry you through the fall and into the holiday season. Don't miss out on more than 110 new videos now in our library. Special guest speakers are Glenn Beck, David Barton, and Tim Ballard. You'll have access for three whole months as well as receiving two bonuses that will offset your complete subscription cost. The first is The Destruction of Christ's Death, which is a two-hour streaming video by Rod Meldrum, which is a $20 value, as well as his new 40-page ebook called Prophecies and Promises. What did Joseph know? That's a $15 value. We're excited for you to join us. Oh, baby. Okay, okay, that's better. Okay.